So last week we, we talked about, for those of you who weren't here, and, and those of you who forgot it by Monday morning, um, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how uh, the Holy Spirit is this, this part of God. He's fully God, but he's part of what we believe in. is called the Trinity, a triune God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all beings God, but all part of one God, the God we just prayed to and that we serve and all of those things. And, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, sometimes has like, this scary connotation if you've grown up in in circles like I have, in in circles that are more Baptist feeling. And, and you kind of think of the Holy Spirit as, as this weird part of God that does weird stuff. And, and so sometimes he just gets ignored. Uh, many people call him the forgotten part of the Godhead. And, and so uh, we, we tried to just kind of, you know, set a, a foundation for maybe some of what we'll do this week and say that, that if you look at the Bible and what God has said about himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, then what you quickly find is that the, the main role, kind of the main deal with the Holy Spirit is that he is a helper. And in this series about more, uh, the spirituality of Christianity, you know, we've tried to say, well, what is the spirituality of Christianity? And, and to do that, you can't really ignore the Holy Spirit. You see the connection there, like spiritual and spirit, you see that? And, and you can't really ignore that part of, of our faith and still really get to the heart of, of of Christianity and get to the heart of the spirituality of Christianity and I would say even get to a place where there is more in your Christian faith if you're a Christian and I think a lot of people look at Christians and we kind of mentioned this through this series like and they're like it's not spiritual at all and what they're probably seeing is that we who are kind of in our feel of Christianity, our flavor of Christianity, have like ignored the most spiritual part of the Christian spirituality, and that is the Holy Spirit. We're kind of unique in religions because we don't just think that our faith is a spiritual faith, but we actually think that, that like part of God comes into us in a spiritual, supernatural way. So we should be way ahead of all the Eastern religions, spiritually speaking. But people look at us and go, well, they don't seem all that spiritual. And I think it's because we're like, well, we like you, Father, because you're the God we pray to. And Father's a nice term. And we like you, Jesus, because you did all those good things and you died for us. But Holy Spirit, you, you stay at the other church, you know, down the road and you do your thing down there. And, and this is, I want to start with, with just kind of saying this, like, for me, for me, uh, when it comes to my Christian faith, some of my really spiritual experiences have been the most, some of the most anyway, impactful experiences as far as, as what I have in my relationship with God. And, and we, in our flavor again, have kind of relegated a little bit, like growing in the Christian faith. This is how we kind of picture, right? Like read your Bible, pray, try not to sin. And, and we just kind of expect that that is enough. But, but there's a lot of people that are searching for something more. And I think that I'm at a big time advantage in my Christian faith because, because I've had some experiences that have provided something more than just simply reading the Bible and praying. And some of them, been, prayer's been involved, but, but praying and, and trying not to mess up too much. I've had something greater, something uh, not better always, but just for, you know, that moment, it was better in some ways than, than just kind of Genesis 1, and I did it for the day, checklist and all that, and I'll just give you a couple of them. I mentioned one a couple weeks ago when we talked about spiritually dark forces and all that, but, but before kind of the part I talked about last week, uh, I said that I was reading a book on revival and I kind of felt the weight of revival on my chest, like kind of in a, a real way, and I went upstairs at our old house and I'm praying before Jesus and I, I thought that when I opened my eyes, I told you this part, that, that like when I opened my eyes, I was really going to see the feet of Jesus. Like I, I was pretty certain that when my eyes 
this open, there's going to be Jesus' feet wearing sandals. I told you I thought that was a little cliche of me and my brain, but uh, like Jesus wouldn't have bought tennis shoes by now or something, you know. And, and I opened my eyes and he wasn't there and things got weird, like I felt like darkness took over. But the part that I left off from the story is that the very next day, I was out uh, in front of a field by the Korean War Memorial in, in Wilsonville, and, and God started to, in a very kind of supernatural way, started to talk to me through this stupid, ugly field that Wilsonville should do something with, but now it has an important part in my heart, so kind of hope they'll just waste it forever. Uh, and so, it, it, like, God just revealed to me, like, the state of Christianity in our country and what my role was to be in helping that, and, and I'll tell you, that's been years ago now, and, and it is dictated in many ways the way in which I live my life and the things that I focus on and the things that I preach on and the things that I try to do. And it it really, because of this kind of supernatural moment, like a vision, if I use vision, you're going to picture like flying things in the air, but nothing like moved or anything. But I'll call it a vision in some ways that came out of this really supernatural prayer moment. And it has shaped my Christian faith always moving forward. And I know that there are certain things I can't do. And I don't mean like sin. I mean like certain things that I would be wrong doing in doing because God has said, this is the course of your life. This is what you need to be about. And so that was a big deal for me because sometimes, you know, when, when things are, you know, and I'm bothered by a person at church or, or, you know, it's just like this is taking too long to be where I want it to be. It's like I draw upon, not necessarily always the Bible, but I draw upon that moment and say, wait a minute, stay the course because you know where you're headed. It's a big deal for me. Another one, um, I had this moment, and I've talked about this before, where, where I had this just this prayer experience at a camp with, with students when I was the youth pastor, and, and I was downstairs alone, and I had this prayer experience like nothing I'd ever experienced before, where, where God met me in a really unique way, and, and that night I went upstairs, and I preached a not a very good little sermon to these kids, and then I, I like saw heaven open in these kids' lives in a way that was so profound. I mean, we had students like singing songs that we weren't playing, like just totally moved by the Holy Spirit, falling down on the ground on their faces, out of character for many of these students. You know, some kids, it's easy to rile them up and get them emotional. But like falling down and not caring what, what we, were, we were leading anymore because they had, they had got a scent of the Holy Spirit and, and now they were just following him and, and we, who were leaders, were just kind of along for the ride. And, uh, and it was pretty incredible and, and it's still a moment where when people... You know, you have those moments where you're like, you know, is, is God really alive and active? Something I just talked about a minute ago when we were praying. And, and you're like, yeah, because I saw something that was unexplainable. It was different than, than anything I'd ever seen. And, and God did something that was powerful and profound and important. And, and I draw upon that experience. It was something more for me and I think for those kids too that were a part of it. And, and so these moments for me, and I said this last week when I read and we're, we have you fill out your surveys kind of to help you know where to serve in our church. And I see a lot of you say like, I've never had a spiritual experience. And uh, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad because I am who I am because of the Bible and because I've learned to pray consistently and because I try to do what God wants me to do and because of these supernatural experiences where the Holy Spirit did something in me. But here's the problem. Uh, In Christian circles like I've grown up in, and I will say, I want to say, let me pause, like in my family there was no like... Because I think this is something, we never were like afraid of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what's allowed me to to have these moments. But I think some people are, are actually like afraid of what the Holy Spirit might do in their lives because of stories like this. Let me give you kind of on the flip side, I've seen some some things where people talk about the Holy Spirit and they talk about how he's moving in them and it all just seems like a wretched fake mess. I'll just be honest with you. Like this, I went on a couple dates with a girl. And she said this sentence, this sentence, well, uh, first of all, praying in tongues uh, means 
to pray in like a heavenly language as led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is going to be important. Led by the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. She said this sentence to me. My dad is teaching me to pray in tongues. Shio, unspiritual that sounds right there. Like it's not the Holy Spirit leading you to pray in tongues if your dad is teaching it to you. In a very similar vein, and this story is worse because that girl we went out like three times that might have had something to do with it right there like sayonara sucker i'm studying theology um i uh, no, she was a nice girl um sure her dad was okay too uh so the, I, this one event that that that's like the worst it might be the epitome of my experiences is a friend of mine and uh, and, and Two friends of mine, we were going to this thing, and one of the friends of mine had said, we've got to go to this kind of Bible study because they're having a speaker there tonight connected to a different church. And we said, okay. And, and so uh, there's two people from our church and then somebody from another church. And so we're driving there. And on the way there, I don't know, it was, it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me because I had seen this interaction at a coffee shop a couple weeks before this event, maybe a month, and and I had seen this guy talking to two older gentlemen, and he had said to them, God never tells us to pray for healing. God just tells us to heal. And I'm like, ooh, that's not good or right. Uh, and, and I stopped. My, I was just about to get up and walk over there and fix it. But I, I stayed at my seat and kept working on my sermon. And, and so on the way, as we're driving with this friend of ours, like a ton of bricks, it hits me. And I don't know why. I had no reason. I go, it's going to be that guy. It's going to be that same guy, and they're going to try to teach us to pray in tongues. That's what's going to happen at this event. And I'd like to say that I believe people speak in tongues, and so this is not, uh, this is not a shot. It's speaking in tongues. If you want to talk to me about why I believe that still happens, I'd love to have that conversation. But, but we're driving there, and I know this is going to be way outside of, A, my comfort zone, and probably outside of my theological zone. We get there, and there's 40 or 50 people, and there's this guy who's a healer uh, up there in front of us talking, and he is talking about how we must pray in tongues and how everybody should be able to do it. And sad part of the story is it turns into about a 30-minute argument, me and him, in front of 40 other people, and for that I, I feel guilty in some ways because it didn't honor God in any way, but... Uh, the person in this church who was there had some more guts than I did because when healer man said, who wants to be, who wants to speak in tongues? Uh, sh this person said, sure, I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll do it. And, and so, uh, so they go up there and, and healer man is, first of all, he grabs this lady's face, not the person in our church, but another person, and is physically teaching them how to do it, which I'm like blown away. And we've already had a 30-minute argument, but I'm up there in front, and, uh, and so he, like, physically is like, do this, and showing this lady how to do it. I see this lady around town sometimes, and it's horribly awkward because we shared this weird moment together, and I don't know her at all, um, and no joke, uh, and I'm like, oh, God, I have to go the other direction, and then um, he tries to get the person to speak in tongues that's in our church, and this person is a very solid person and a person that's, that's not just going to give in to the emotion of the situation, and, and, the, and so they don't speak in tongues. And, and guess what happens? The guy gets mad at me for praying the wrong thing because he asked me to pray. Um, I have to include that he's blind, and so he doesn't know when he asked me to pray that I'm the guy who's been arguing with him for 30 minutes. That's a true part of the story. Uh, and so I pray the wrong thing. He shuts me off. He's mad at me. Uh, and then he takes, they take literally this person in our congregation, and they take them to another room, and, and then basically are like, something's wrong with you. You must be doing something wrong because you didn't have the Holy Spirit moving you in this way. And this is, this is, you know why I think so many people are scared. A um, couple more stories. Um, we recently, um, Brandon and Graham and I uh, went to, that's Brandon right there, we went to uh, a church in Northern California where the Holy Spirit is alive and moving and active and, and they're producing you know all the music that's coming out on the radio and, and they've had gold dust in the air at events and they had angel feathers everywhere and um and we 
first of all, I'm trying to be open to all of it, and we love their music, you know, and I've only read good things um, by their pastor, things I actually really liked, and, and they say we can't help it if God moves in these ways. Uh, but you've heard things like people are testing the feathers and their bird feathers, and so you hear that, but I'm being pretty open because the pastor, everything I've ever heard the guy say, I, I really have liked, to be honest with you. And we go, and it's great music as we expected, and then it's heresy. It's like not true. Like the things they were saying, were, were the, the sermon and, and then the offering time were absolutely not true. It just didn't align with the word of God. It was wrong. And, and then you're left, if you're like me, thinking like the Holy Spirit really, like he's choosing to move in this church that's lying to, you know, thousands of people and, you know, not in other churches where they tell the truth. That doesn't seem right. Like if I'm the Holy Spirit, which you're good thing I'm not for all of you, but, but if I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm producing the gold dust at a church where, you know, they're telling the truth about me, you know? I mean, that would be my pick. And so then you go, that, that doesn't, can't be real, can it? That can't be real. I mean, there was a huge movement in, in Florida, uh, the Lakeland Revival, and you can see a whole documentary on it, and just tons of stuff is happening by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure tons of stuff actually did happen, but then the guy who's the leader of it all is getting divorced in like a month, and you go, something is amiss there, right? Like to be that blatantly, you know, in disregard of what God says. And, and, but this is the, this is the person that, that God has chosen to really move through and not, you know, some of the most nice, kind, caring people that I know. Another story, and I just, this is not my story, but I like it. A friend of mine named Zach was a brand new Christian. And uh, he went to a, a, a Pentecostal uh, kind of youth Thing, a young adult thing, uh, what's the word, like a, a retreat type thing, but big uh, conference, that's the word I'm looking for, like a conference, and they say, Zach is a brand new Christian, they say, who wants more of the Holy Spirit, and Zach throws his hand up, he does, he's like, that sounds good, you know, I mean, we all want more of the Holy Spirit, he has no idea what he's about to get himself into, and, and so they call Zach up on stage, and there's about five people up on stage who are like, yes, and and Zach, the way he tells this story to me, is that he's up like this, just waiting for more of the Holy Spirit without any idea of, you know, Pentecostal background, what's supposed to happen. And so they're going down the line, and what's happening is they're slaying people in the Spirit, something that, that doesn't have a biblical basis, um, but it's where you get touched and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and wham, you fall to the ground, and if you've ever seen it on TV, they'll catch them and they'll lay them down. So the guy, who a preacher man is up there, zapper man, he zaps the first guy down, zaps the second guy down, zaps the third guy down, gets to Zach, zaps him on the head. Zach doesn't move. He's just up. He's ready for the Holy Spirit. Eyes closed the way I think he told the story and showed. He's like this. Guy zaps him again. Zach still arms up like this. Then Zapper Man grabs his forehead, shoves him down. Zach gets caught, still doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, hops back up and puts his arms back up in the air. That's a real story. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great story? I wish it was my story. Zach also had another story. He went to work at a church, and, and, and like the first Sunday he was there, they, they, they say, we are going to heal this person in a wheelchair. That sounds admirable. Zach would not be against that at all. And they say, we're going to do it by dancing around the guy. And, and Zach was like, why? Like, your dancing is not an important part of God's movement. Uh, and so... When I think about, often, the Holy Spirit and his movement, and probably when you think about it, because you're at this church this morning, uh, these are the types of things you think about. And so the question becomes, in my mind, this is the tension that I always feel. I want to have experiences like the ones I have had, but at the same time, I don't want to be zapper man or fake healer man who also told a guy that his fungus would go away in a week after he couldn't heal it, by the way, at that same event. I don't want to be that, and I don't want to be a church like that, but I want something more for all of you. And so, so here's, as the Holy Spirit is going to move in your life and help you, I think that, that what we need to do is, 
is that we have to kind of follow some principles in the Bible for how the Holy Spirit can move in our lives. And that's what I want to look at today. And, and first of all, I just want to say, remind you, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the helper in our lives, and he's provided a scripture, and he assures us of salvation, and he intercedes for us in prayer, and he teaches and reveals truth, and he guides in spiritual matters. And, and I would say that if the Holy Spirit isn't kind of doing those things in your life, no matter how grand the spiritual experience is, if he's not moving you forward or showing you that you're really a Christian or showing you the direction of God, then, then maybe you could be a little leery of it, but... Let's look at the Bible, and first of all, I want to just give you some of the very spiritual experiences of the Bible. Because some of you, it's like your background, your connection, it's like you've never experienced things like I have experienced. And you go, is it real? Is it real? But listen to some of this stuff. Acts 7.55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's a pretty spiritual experience. Acts 9.31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I think like a lot of churches with our flavor, we really want to be like that old, that old early church, but we don't ever feel encouraged as a congregation by the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 7. But when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. The Holy Spirit actually wouldn't allow these missionaries to go somewhere. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. We would tell that story in church. Acts 20, 22 through 23. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Wouldn't you like to be warned? Like when you're showing up at work in the morning and it's like this person's going to be in a bad mood and you just need to know that. Later, kind of in the same kind of idea, a guy comes up to Paul, a Christian, and he's got his hands tied by his belt. And he's like, the Holy Spirit is telling me this is what's going to happen to you that's kind of spiritual and when I've been to churches where people say things like that to me I God just has a word for you I usually go you're weird I need to go I don't know you to be honest but but that's kind of what we read in this passage like God has a word for you and then Revelation 110 this is like kind of at the beginning of the book of Revelation on the Lord's day, this is John talking, I was in the spirit. And then if you've read the book of Revelation, it's like a giant acid trip or something, you know. And you're like, that all came to him in the spirit. Like, that was all part of what the Holy Spirit was doing in John. He was like lifted up to heaven and he sees dragons and all these things happen. And we can't just go, well, you know, whatever. Not going to pay attention to any of that, none of that really matters. Here's the other part of it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, which I'm not going to read in its entirety, he tells us that the Spirit works in our lives to reveal spiritual realities to us. And I think that if we want more in the Christian faith, then we want spiritual realities to be revealed to us, whether it takes on a supernatural weird form or whether it's just God working as we read the Bible. We want that. And the big question that, that I think is, is important, that's really important, is just like, do we simply accept that and say, well, the Holy Spirit will do that? Or do we have an active role to play in making it happen? Because if you're a person who, who just goes, well, the Holy Spirit's never really done anything important in me that I can tell, you have to ask, does the Holy Spirit not like you, but he likes Healer Man and Zapper Man better or something? Or is it because you, maybe, have not taken some steps that God has called you to take? Think about this. In the Bible, we are told to walk by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, that's to remove sin, to say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, and to worship 
by the Spirit. And it seems like, if you, as you read those things, that, that Paul and, and the rest of the New Testament writers are showing us that the Spirit is the one alive and working in us and we're totally relying on Him. But maybe, just maybe, we have an active role to play if we truly want to see the Spirit move in us. So I want to focus just on three things that I think we really need to do is what we really need to do if we are going to be people that see more, that see the Spirit moving in us, even if it's outside of our comfort zone, even if it's not something we've been used to. And, and here's the first one out of First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Ephesians 4.30 in a very similar way says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's followed by a command to do good things in the book of Ephesians. And, and, and so here, just twofold here. I think it's, it's twofold. I think the first thing that, that Paul is really making clear in both of those passages is that if we are living a life that is contrary to the will of God, then the Spirit is not going to move in us. Just it. Just it. I mean, he uses this example of a, of a flame, and we can't have fire here, but I have this, and it, it will represent. And, and if we picture the Holy Spirit like this flame right here, but we're just pouring dirt on it all the time, sin, we're doing things. Uh, remember this, that the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, and, and so... We read the Bible and we see something that it tells us to do or not to do and we do the opposite. It's like we're pouring dirt on the Holy Spirit. And then we wonder like, why isn't your fire falling down? Why aren't you moving in me? And it's because the Spirit is being quenched. The fire is being put out. You could picture water there. Or the Spirit is being grieved and he's not uh, willing to move in your life anymore. And here's what I think of. It's like the person that you've known who who obviously is doing something that they shouldn't be doing, but then asking really for advice in it. And I think of it this way, like somebody knows that you don't think they should date that girl. You're like, you should not date that girl. They're bad news. Uh, they're going to hurt you. You're going to do things you didn't want to do. It's going to be all messed up. Don't date them. It's very unhealthy. And, and then they come to you and then they say like, how do I have a better relationship with that girl? You don't date her. And, and I think this is how we interact with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Like, Holy Spirit, I really want you to move in my life. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've already moved because you already know that you're supposed to, you know, not lust, but you're just choosing to do it anyway. You already know that you're not supposed to be a liar, but you're doing that anyway. And then you're asking me, like, how to have more of me, but you don't even want what you have of me already. And I think that's the main part of what Paul is getting at when he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Like, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, then you better be listening to the Holy Spirit when he's already come into your life and already spoken things to you. In the book of James, there's a very similar thing there, and it says, it says, like, if you need wisdom, pray, and God will give it to you, but you can't be uh, two-faced about it. That's kind of the word he uses. Like, you, you can't say, God, tell me what to do, and, and this is the point of James 1 at the very beginning. You can't say, God, tell me what to do, while you're ignoring what God has already told you what to do, when he's told you what to do. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. You can't go, Holy Spirit, I want more, but I'm not going to listen to what you have already said. Now, for those of us who have, like, a Baptist background, who, who kind of have, you know, grown up in, in churches like I have where, you know, the Holy Spirit's great as long as he doesn't show up and, uh, you know, I mean, all that stuff. He's part of our Godhead as long as we're talking theology and not church, and that's all great. Uh, if you've grown up like that, then I think there's another implication here, and the implication is that when the Spirit starts to move in your life, you ought not pour water on it and go, wait a minute, it's getting a little weird in here, you know? I mean, it, you know, the thing that I think of that I think has allowed me to continue to move forward in the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit has moved in me, I've checked. I've said, is this biblical? Is this something that aligns with the Word of God? And then I, I allow for it to go where it should go. And, and I remember as a young kid, and I'm thankful that I grew up in a family like this and even churches that allowed for this, the Holy Spirit would do these weird things when I was in church. And, and I didn't really know anything about the Holy Spirit, but I was a Christian, and so I believed the Holy Spirit was in my life. But there would be these moments where I'd have, like, these wrestling matches. I would feel, like, 
and we weren't a big hand-raising church, but it was like, I should put my hands in the air. It would just come to me. It's like the Holy Spirit was doing that, but then I would just wrestle like, wait a minute, is, is the Holy Spirit telling me this, or am I trying to look cool? I'm like an eight-year-old having this conversation in my head. It had to be the Holy Spirit, and I, I was willing to put my hands up, and so there was no quenching of the Holy Spirit, even though it didn't fit in. There's been moments where I, and uh, this is not a bragging session, it's just that I've grown up with you know, some freedom to do this, and I had you know, people that loved me, so I didn't really care what other people thought about me when the Holy Spirit moved, and like moments in, in our church, even where I've gotten on my knees and during our singing because the Holy Spirit in, in my head, in my heart, is just like, get on your knees. And so I get on my knees. And, and so I, I think that while it's not pouring sin on what the Holy Spirit is doing, it's also not saying you can't go, Holy Spirit, that's great that you're trying to do something, but I'm not going to allow it because I didn't grow up like that. You have to let the Holy Spirit move. And when the Holy Spirit moves, and I want to just keep reiterating this, we said this last week, it's going to be in line with what you read in the Word of God. It's important. Now here's the other part that, that Paul says to us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Ephesians 5, 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here's what seems to be true in the Bible. The Holy Spirit comes on to every Christian. We don't like to talk about this in, in certain circles. We don't like to think about this. But the Holy Spirit comes into the life of every person who decides to become a Christian. However, and this is the part we don't like, the Holy Spirit seems to fill more fully certain people that are Christians. And I'll tell you that kind of the Baptist thinking, the way to get around this is, is that we say, well, that just means that, that these people are not quenching the Spirit by sinning. And, you know, it always comes back. And, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But it always comes back to, like, they're following the Bible. No matter what the Spirit does, it's always about the Bible. But that doesn't seem to be what, what the Bible is getting at. Acts 6.3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And when you think of being full of wisdom, you don't say, well, that's just like everybody else, but they're more obedient to wisdom. No, it's like a person is more wise. They understand what they ought to do in a situation. And so they're, they're picking new people to, be, uh, to, to wait tables in that passage. And they're saying, pick people who have a special filling of the Holy Spirit. And Paul comes along and says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a couple words that that can be used for this word fill that, that has a couple of meanings, the Greek word. And, and the first is, is to fill something or to permeate something. Uh, and, and, and so the idea, it was a nautical term, it is like the wind going into a sailboat. And so you can think of it with a fan, it's even working. So I didn't bring a sheet or anything, but, but if we had like a sheet here, you would, you would see that, that it is pushed along by the wind, right? I mean, it would fill and it would, it would kind of blow up. And, and that's how this word was used in the New Testament. And in New Testament times, it was for the wind pushing the sails. And that means that the, that the ship would go in the direction that the wind was taking. And so part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being a person who allows for the Holy Spirit to guide the direction of your life. And not saying, I have a five-year plan. And my five-year plan is going to be this, this, and this. And if the Holy Spirit wants to come along, then he can come along. It's saying my direction will be driven by the Holy Spirit. The other way that this word um, can be used is to permeate, kind of like Alka-Seltzer. And I brought Alka-Seltzer, and uh, I probably could have just said Alka-Seltzer, and you would remember the commercials. But you drop Alka-Seltzer in the cup, and eventually it will dissolve. And what you'll find is, is that, that one thing will now be a part of the whole thing. And so it's not like if you drank the bottom half of this glass of water that you would all of a sudden go, well, the Alka-Seltzer is somewhere else up on the top. It's no big deal. But to be filled with Alka-Seltzer or the Holy Spirit it is in some ways to say the Holy Spirit is touching every area of my life. And so when Paul says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's really, I think, it's, it's twofold. It's one, saying, I will let the direction of my life be set by the Holy Spirit, not by my five-year plan, not by what makes sense, not by what my parents think I should do. And two, it's saying, I will let the Holy Spirit into every part 
of my life. Not just the Sunday morning part, not just the church part, not just the Bible study part, but I want the Holy Spirit have a say, be a part of, be involved in every aspect of my life. Yeah? That's good, right? Yeah. Okay. And so here's the last part, and this is where it gets a little weirder. Uh, The other part... I think is this, that we should pray in the Holy Spirit. Judges 20 and Jude uh, 20 and 21, I put judge there. Uh, Jude 20 and 21 says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Gotquestions.org. It's not usually my first place to go for sermon information, but sometimes they have great answers. If you're looking for an answer, they're, they're not a bad site. It says this, this should, be, this should be understood as praying in the power of the Spirit, by the leading of the Spirit, and according to His will. Samuel's Wimmer says, true prayer is God and the Holy Spirit talking to God the Father in the name of God the Son, and the believer's heart is the prayer room. I really liked that. And John Piper, who's just become one of my favorite preachers in the world, says, if you ever just go listen to John Piper, he's nicer and more awesome than almost any pastor out there. He, he said this, so to pray that the Holy Spirit is move, uh, to pray in the Holy Spirit's movement and guiding power. 1 Corinthians kind of helps us with this because it says nobody can say Jesus be accursed when they are speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so to pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in, in really the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And most often when you come to this type of passage, and the reason that we ignore this type of passage in churches like our church is that the only way anybody seems to want to talk about this is, is about praying in tongues. And so these verses, like Jude 20 and 21, these are going to be like quoted all the time in more Pentecostal, charismatic type churches. And then over here at Creekside Bible Church, we're just going to, not us because I'm the pastor, but, but we're just going to like ignore this kind of verse because, well, it, you know, we don't think it means praying in tongues because that's scary, but we don't really want to figure out what it actually means because, because what does it actually mean? But here's the thing. First of all, it doesn't mean I don't think praying in tongues um, because it says this in Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And it would be hard to pray in tongues on all occasions. I mean, Paul, in fact, tells the church at one point, the church in Corinth, that that sometimes they are not to pray in tongues because it's not beneficial for the church. So it would be contradictory of him to come along and say, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And so it doesn't mean speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues can be a way, perhaps, of praying in the Spirit, but it doesn't mean that. I think what it means is closer to Romans 8, 26, and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's allowing for the Holy Spirit to, re- to, to drive, to guide, to be the power behind your prayers. And you go, what does that look like, right? Because I have a checklist, and I go down my list, and I look at our bulletin, and I pray for the people in our bulletin. What does that look like? And, and, and there's just a couple things that I think are important in it. And the first we've hit on already, and I, I think, first of all, you have to let the Bible shape your prayers. You do. And, and the way that we pray is, is, I know that people love to tell you there's no wrong way to pray, but the way that we've started to pray, and I've harped on this before, in kind of the modern church culture is, it's, it's pathetic. It's, it's, it's kind of dumb. Like, God, I've said this a million times, but like, God be with that person as if God's not with them already. If they're a Christian, God is already with them. We already believe that. You're not praying anything. You're just talking so that you feel good about praying. And what do you want God to be with them for? What do you want God to do with them? I saw something the other day that said, we, we, we pray all the time for the healing. We've done it even today. The healing of Christian believers who we actually believe when they die, they'll get to go to heaven, but we very rarely pray for the salvation of non-Christians. 
And so one of the things I think that's really important, the Holy Spirit is really going to be guiding and, and leading our prayers, is that we have to say, okay, Holy Spirit, you wrote this book. I mean, the Bible is your book. You guided men and women to put down these words. What does it say? And then we try to align our prayers with the H.W. Frost said the Spirit will always lead the saint to make much of the Word and especially God's promises in the Word. This explains the fact that the great, prayer, the great prayers have always been great students of the Word. Man, so just know your Bible. Have a Bible open with you when you pray and say like, Holy Spirit, just walk me through this so that I'm praying stuff that's in line with you. And here's, here's the other part. And this is the part that, that's just going to be different, so different to so many of you. But I think another major part is to rely on the Holy Spirit. One author said this, He depends upon human co- cooperation for the meditation of his mind, the, manif- excuse me, the manifestation of his truth, and the effectual working of his will. We pray in the Spirit, and the Spirit maketh intercession for us. Philippians 3.3 3 says, We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and, who, and check this part out, who put no confidence in the flesh. And I just ask this, I just ask this part. When you pray, are you putting confidence in your flesh? Are you putting confidence in having the right words and making sure that you remember the right stuff? Or are you saying, I'll put no confidence in my memory or my words because this is, this is all about your movement in my life. Adrian Rogers, a good Baptist boy, said this, Our problem many times is not that we are too weak. Our problem is that we are not weak enough. We have never finally said, Lord, I can't when it comes to our prayers. I mean, what if you just showed up at your prayer time and instead of saying, I'm going to hang on, I'm not going to fall asleep and I'm going to remember everybody, you just showed up and you said, God, here I am, I'm alone and I can't pray anything that matters unless you do something in me. What if that would change everything? What if the Holy Spirit would go, oh, I'm wanted in that prayer? It's not just a checklist anymore. The Bible declares that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, Adrian Rogers also said this, you cannot do it without him. He will not do it without you. And I think when you start to take that mentality into your prayer life, then it changes everything. I mean, this is really your homework for the week. I want you to have a prayer time where you don't go with an agenda except for an agenda to say, Spirit, I can't do this without you. This is not going to matter. This is not going to be any good. So what is it that you want to do here? What is it that you want me to say here and now? God, lead this. You see, the problem with us who have grown up in, in you know, the flavor of church that Creekside is in some ways, we're a little better than some, but the problem with us is that we don't feel, we don't recognize, we don't talk about our need for the Holy Spirit. One of the things I really like about more charismatic churches is that, you know, when they like get into their church service, they just invite the Holy Spirit to come and be in their midst. We did that this morning when we prayed before church. I did that for us. But, but they just invite the Holy Spirit to do that. And we're, and come on, be honest with me now. You're just thinking, I hope the Holy Spirit doesn't show up too much. If you're being honest, you would not say that out loud, but I hope he doesn't show up too much. Just enough to get a couple people saved. Just enough to, you know, do something nice for me. I can feel good, but not enough to make things weird here. I've thought it. What if somebody starts speaking in tongues in the middle of our church service and I'm relying on somebody else to interpret? That freaks me out. I don't want to yell at somebody in the middle of the service like this doesn't align with 1 Corinthians. I mean, what are you doing? You know, that scares me. But what if we just started to say, Holy Spirit, we need you. That nothing good is going to happen unless you come. And, and here's the last part, just briefly. I think that when we pray, we must do it in spirit and in truth. Jesus talks about that with worship. I preached on that not too long ago, so we won't touch it uh, for very long here. But, but this is what I said in that sermon uh, a few months back. I said, if you were deaf, mute, paralyzed, and blind, would you still be worshiping? And here I'll say, would you still be connecting with God in your prayers? You see, I think one of the keys and one of the things that's really helped me in kind of these powerful moments is that I'm no longer just praying from my brain, but I'm praying from that place that nobody can see that, that I can't even really explain to you called the spirit that we believe, our souls. And, and somewhere, somehow, that, that soul just begins, I allow it to connect with, with the spirit of God. And when Jesus says to pray in spirit and in truth, he, yes, he means pray in truth, and we really like that part in, in our type of church 
churches, but he also means that your spirit should be involved, that it shouldn't just be your brain saying, God, this is what I believe. It should be the soul lifting itself to God. And I think if we want to see the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives, then when we sit alone and we say, Holy Spirit, you lead this because nothing good is coming out of it apart from you, that we also go, okay, this is coming from my spirit to your Holy Spirit, God, this is not just coming from my brain, from my mouth, excuse me, from my mouth. This is not just coming even from my posture. It's coming from a place deep inside of me, a place that we call the spirit or the soul. And so here, just, you know, in conclusion, um, this is the thing. Don't, don't quench the spirit. Uh, don't pour the dirt of your sin on the fire that is the Holy Spirit. Don't tell the Holy Spirit you're not going to go where he goes. When he moves, you move. And the second part is be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, say, Holy Spirit, I'm going where you're going. My direction is your direction. And say, Holy Spirit, I will let you touch every place of my life, even the uncomfortable places, the places that I'm kind of used to. I'll let you touch every place of my life. And then say, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to pray anymore, but I'm going to pray in the Spirit. It's a pretty common command in the Bible that gets ignored a lot. I'm going to pray in the Spirit I'm going to pray according to the word of God, relying fully on the Holy Spirit to do something in me, not just going down a checklist and trying to lift my soul to him, whatever that looks like. And when, this is what I believe, when you do that, and this is the, this is the problem, it's the problem and the answer, when you do that, you no longer have to fake spiritual experiences anymore. And I think what's happened in the Christian world that we live in, I should say the Christian country that we live in, is, is that we've either gone one of two ways. We've gone like, well, I haven't seen the Holy Spirit in a while, so forget about him. Or we've gone like, well, I haven't seen the Holy Spirit in a while, so let's make him up. Another story that, that I've told a lot through the years is, is, is this guy, a uh, refrigerator repairman, um, that came into my work when I worked at a retirement home. And... And he heard that I was leading the Bible study there. That wasn't my primary job, serving food was, but I also did a Bible study there. And he comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm a churchgoer and God does some awesome things in my life. And, and he says, let me tell you a story. And I'm pumped for this story. I'm like, I really am. I'm like genuinely engaged now because I like stories about what God is doing and, and it's better than cleaning dishes. And so uh, I'm like, okay, let's go refrigerator repairman. And he tells me this story. He says, I was driving down the road and God told me to go to Fred Meyer. Okay, this is going to be good, right? Somebody's getting healed. A miracle is happening. He's saving 50 people. Uh, it's going to be awesome. He says, I, that I got to Fred Meyer and I just felt like God was telling me to go into the futon section. I'm still fully engaged. I want you to know that. I'm thinking there is a person crying in the futon section and this guy is going to show up and he's going to lead them into a relationship with Jesus and, and the, or he's going to save their lives or whatever it might be. He says, I got to the futon section and I looked up and I saw the perfect size futon cover for our futon. And he stops. And I'm there. I didn't know how to recover. I'm pretty good at recovering, but there's moments where I just don't know how to recover. And so we look, and I look at him, and I, this is my word. If I ever say interesting to you a lot, I probably shouldn't tell you. It's probably because I don't believe what you're saying, but I don't want to tell you. Uh, and so I'm like, interesting. And then he looks at me, and I, he goes, and I can see every demon in this room and know what to do with them. Also interesting. Don't tell me about them. I don't want to know how many are here. I need to go do the dishes. And what I see in American culture is that we're so desperate for something more that people are willing to fake something more. They're willing to see these supernatural things, demons under every rock or the Spirit of God moving in every situation because they've never really experienced anything Anything better, and they know that something's out there, and they've come. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you go, well, it seems like Christians, you know, I like them, but they should be more spiritual. And if you are a Christian, you're like, well, it seems like this should be more spiritual. And, and what I'm saying to you today is, is, first, don't quench the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and then pray in the Spirit. And then don't try to create anything magical, because then it becomes no longer spiritual. 
Just let the Holy Spirit do what he does, and it might be weird, and it might be normal, and it might be crazy, and it probably will be awesome. Will you pray with me? Lord, I invite you into this prayer. I just invite you to the rest of this service, if we haven't done that in our hearts already, to just move in us in a new, powerful way, to lead us, to guide us, to be a part of all of us, Lord. And Lord, I think I think that we all want something more out of the Christian faith. I think, you know, whether it's a person who's a brand new Christian that has an expectation for a, a great future Christian life, or, or whether it's a person who's kind of, you know, um, doing really good spiritually right now, I th- think I'm doing good most days, and but I still want something more, whether it's a person, you know, who's been a Christian a long time, and, and then it's like, well, it, it was great, but it's not great anymore. I, I, I pray that we would not quench your spirit, and that we would be filled with your spirit, and we would learn to pray in your spirit. And Lord, I'll be honest, I you know this already, God, but I'll be honest in front of these people. This was kind of a hard sermon to prepare for because I, I'm so ill-equipped when it comes to, to talking about your Holy Spirit because of my, you know, where I was educated and, and churches I grew up in. Um, but I pray that, that our lack of understanding uh, would not prevent us, God, from from embracing the work that you want to do through your Holy Spirit in us. Lord, as, as we read last week, I mean, you declared Jesus before you left. You said greater things will happen, and then you said, here's the plan. The Holy Spirit is coming. And sometimes, God, we just, we go, well, I want greater things to happen. I want more to happen in my life, in the lives around me. I want more to happen, and we don't see it. But I pray now, even this morning, this week, this next year, forever, Lord, that we would learn to embrace the work that your spirit is doing and we would be open to you and we would, we would rely on you and we'd stop relying on ourselves and our checklists and our plans, but we would rely on you. And, and I pray, even, God, I hope that you'll, just by your grace, you'll forgive us when we don't know what it looks like and we're not really sure how to, how to lift our spirits to you. I mean, what does that even mean? And we don't know, you know, how to connect with our spirits because all we really think about is our minds and our emotions on a normal basis. I pray that even when we don't understand it and we don't get it, that still, that still, God, you would... You would respond to our efforts because, because of who you are. We love you, Yahweh. We love you because you first loved us. And, and we, we want more. Be, for those of us who are Christians, we want more because we've, we've glimpsed something. And God, I think if, if people in front of me aren't Christians, then they want something too because they realize that there's a hole in them that, that can only be filled by, by something else that they've never found in the world and what the world has to offer. And so fill all of us. I pray these things in your name. Amen.